gentlemen welcome to the first episode of the wizards apprentice podcast i'm your host seth and welcome i'm very excited for what we have in store today question of the day is how can i incorporate chromatic dragons into my world specifically black dragons and blue chromatic dragons let's dive into it but first let me tell you about what you're listening to The Wizards Apprentice podcast is designed for players and DMs alike to get short, informational, and purposeful talks that make D&D more enjoyable and smooth. With talks from world building, character creation, practical guides on monsters, and much more, we are dedicated to improving your game. Now let's dive into it. Again, the question of the day is how can I incorporate chromatic dragons into my world, specifically black and blue chromatic dragons? Let's do it. Let's dive in. The first thing I want to talk about is a commonality between all types of chromatic dragons. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down uh, a the similarities between all chromatic dragons, uh, all uh, black, blue, uh, red, green, and white dragons. Um, and we're going to talk about everything they have in common. Then I'm going to break down uh, black dragons, their lore, how they, um, their stat blocks, how you'd run them in combat, their layers and regions. I'll do the same thing for blue. So we got a lot to talk about. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and dive on in. First thing, all chromatic dragons are evil. They are, uh, they are lawful to chaotic evil. They are not good in any, in any way stretch of the imagination. They're all driven by greed. They're all naturally greedy uh, creatures, and they all seek treasure. So you always hear about a dragon's horde. Um, that is um, that is real. That is true. Uh, so dra- uh, dr- uh, chromatic dragons are going to seek out wealth uh, in large hordes of it. They are egotistical, and they believe in an innate right to rule. Um, they are you can't you can't humble a chromatic dragon. They seek to. Um, spread their influence over a large land and they believe that they are the natural born heirs to the region that they call home. Uh, every chromatic dragon finds a different place home. Uh, we'll talk about that as we go through them, but um, they all believe that they have a right to it. Um, so they believe that everyone else is just kind of stepping on their turf and that, that they're rather territorial when it comes in that sense. And also that they are all egotistical. They are uh, impossible to humble. Uh, you cannot humble a dragon. Uh, the monster manual describes trying to humble a dragon like trying to tell the wind to stop blowing. Uh, so it's not going to work well in your favor. Another thing, all dragons grow more powerful with age. Uh, the day before a dragon dies of old age is the most powerful that ver- that dragon will ever become. Um, just because of the innate magic that comes with dragons, that the older they get, the more powerful, the larger they grow in size, and the more that their uh, region or their lair is affected by their presence. So a wormling or a baby dragon is not going to have an effect on its surroundings. An adult dragon will, um, just because of not only their innate magic, but also their presence and what they can do. Their abilities can change the surrounding area to their liking, making it more like the way that they the way that they want it to be. Uh, next, uh, they all have a tie uh, or, or some connection to the goddess 
Tiamat. Uh, she is the evil goddess of chromatic dragons. Um, she is a uh, crazy powerful uh, god who has five heads. Uh, each head has a is the neck and head of a different dragon. Uh, black, blue, green, red, and white. And she is um, trapped in in D&D lore. She's trapped on the first layer of the nine hells of Vernus. Uh, and she cannot, and she's kind of stuck there by Asmodeus, um, who is the Lord of the nine hells. Of course, we can take this lore and do whatever we want with it in our games. Um, but the actual lore is that she is stuck down there um, and she can't get out. But what she can do is she can use her powers uh, that she has um, being a, a goddess and she's able to actually bestow them upon people if she wishes. She doesn't really like to share. Um, <laughs> we've kind of set the precedent that all dragons, especially chromatic dragons, do not do not like to share treasure, uh, soldiers, power, whatever, but she can. And so uh, some dragons, some chromatic dragons will actually have innate spell casting, whether that comes from Tiamat or their own personal studies. Um, they all uh, they can have uh, spell casting. And when you're considering spell casting for your um, dragon, if you'd like it to have it, throwing it on a couple spells, whether it's um, fire spells like fireball or scorching ray for a um, for a red dragon or um, cone of cold for a white dragon, each of their highest stat, their highest mental stat, that means intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, for every single one of them, it is charisma, with the exclusion of the green dragon, which we'll talk about some other time. But all of their strongest mental stat is their charisma. They are suave. They are persuasive. They are deceptive. They are powerful, powerful, smart, wise, intelligent creatures that do know what they're doing. So whenever you are role-playing them, because they can speak common, they can also speak draconic, which would make sense because they're dragons. Whenever you are role-playing them, if they do ever speak to the party, they are smooth. They are powerful and they are authoritative. Um, depending on the type of dragon, they all have different personalities and we can touch on their personalities as we go through them. Um, they are not stupid when they're interacting with parties. They are not stupid. So you, it's, you can't, you can't trick a dragon, an older dragon. You can't really, Oh, I got you. Oh yeah. You told you, you said you wouldn't do it. So now you can't do it. They are smart enough, not only with people, but also just their intelligence and wisdom is high enough to where that, that probably won't fly with a dragon. And with that out of the way, we're going to go ahead and jump into uh, Black Dragons. Let's talk about them. So, Black Dragons, they are the most vile and evil-tempered of the Chromatic Dragons. So, they are uh, the, they're sadistic. And we'll talk about what that means for them in a second. But, um, in short, the, the, to define them, is that they have a hatred for whenever the weak are prospering. Uh, they they're kind of like a might is right kind of thing, which is ironic. And we'll again, I'll tell I'll tell about that in a second. But they hate whenever people do good, or whenever people are prospering or doing well, especially if they are weak. Uh, their face kind of resembles that of a skull, and they have these two um, they have these two huge horns that kind of roll out from their face and jut forwards. Um, their scales dull in color. Uh, they're they're born with shiny black, and it kind of turns into this matte, uh, dark. Um, like they lose the shininess on their scales uh, as they age. It helps them blend into their environment, which we see in their uh, modifiers. They have a decent stealth modifier, so um, ambushing ambushing works great. Um, a black dragon is sadistic, which is what uh, we were talking about. That's the big thing about them. They 
uh, this if this doesn't tell you about enough about a black dragon, uh, let me let me tell you this: they love watching their prey beg for mercy, and oftentimes will offer the illusion of escape to its prey before killing them. So whether that means a wanderer who stumbled in and he's like, no, 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 please, 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 don't kill me, and then the dragon flies away, only to creep up on them as they're trying to escape their lair and you know take them out. So they, if that doesn't tell you enough about them, they are horrible, horrible, evil creatures. Um, they will strike at the weakest of the pack first and try to kill off its prey sequentially. So um, if you're ever in combat with a black dragon, uh, they're oftentimes going to target either the most vulnerable, the highest damaged, um, so that means lowest AC, lowest HP, uh, or the target that is going to cause the most problems. Um, and so that could be like a cleric. Um, a cleric who's wearing medium armor is going to get absolutely, totally targeted by a black dragon. Because again, they're intelligent, and so they're going to know, okay, who's the biggest threat? Uh, it's the barbarian. It's going to deal the most damage to me. But the cleric's the one that's behind him, keeping him up. So I'm going to take him out first. Um, a black dragon will do anything to survive. Uh, if a black dragon, uh, again, since they're not stupid and they don't want to die, uh, no, most creatures will not fight to the death. Um, a black dragon will begin to retreat. So I imagine, let's say it has, what, 190, 195 HP as an adult black dragon, which is what we'll be talking about. They will, probably around 90 to 80 HP left, they'll begin to retreat and begin to look for ways out. They'll probably uh, use some more tools at their disposal, probably deal a little bit more damage, um, but they will do anything to survive, except they will never let someone claim mastery over them. They would rather die than someone rule or lord over that dragon. Um, so they have a they have a bit of a rebellious nature in that sense that they don't really, they will not let somebody lord over them. They would rather die than do that. But beyond that, they are going to try and escape at every opportunity a black dragon is one that preys on the weak um, however uh, stronger dragons will usually drive a black dragon to move its territory um, so whenever there's other dragons in the area other draconic creatures it will actually scope out and try and take out the weaker ones uh, whether that makes it feel better about itself i don't know but um, a stronger dragon will often, like if it's a stronger dragon in the area, the black dragon is not going to deal with that. Uh, you kind of get to catch the nature of it. That they like to prey on the weak, but if there's a stronger dragon, it doesn't, it's not going to try to take it out. It's going to pack its things and move. Um, so they, they don't, they don't really like that other dragons are going to be stronger than them. And rather than having it lord over, it, it's just going to pack its things and get out. Um, people or creatures that might follow a black dragon, uh, kobolds, <laughs> kobolds will always uh if they have an opportunity to follow or worship a dragon they will you bet your bottom dollar that they're going to be jumping on that um kobolds uh the small little draconic bipedal creatures um cute little things aren't they um they if they follow a black dragon they will begin to develop the sadistic nature of the black dragon it will actually kind of resort to more torture and stuff like that whenever they capture people than just their regular antics of what shall we do with the with the prisoner so they're 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 going to be a bit more of a threat to your party than regular kobolds if they're following a black dragon another uh creature is uh lizard folk uh if there are lizard folk in a swamp region and there's a dragon um they will probably lend themselves to either helping out the dragon in their own way or uh, or beginning to worship and follow the dragon wherever it goes. Um, they can make for some great roaming creatures in the region, um, and they can also be really good for uh, 
creatures like that are in combat during the actual combat with the dragon. So having a couple, uh, a couple of minions uh, around it is going to definitely be, it, it can, it can really help balance out combat with action economy uh, and all that. Uh, we can dig into another thing about action economy another time, but basically the side of combat that has the most actions usually wins. And we'll be talking about uh, how to kind of counteract that little homebrew DM tip. Uh, but we can get into that in a moment. But let's break down what a lair, what a region for a dragon is going to look like. So black dragons, uh, they like to hang out in swamps and marshes. So a lot of mud, a lot of terrible, awful trees and all that stuff. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to break down the five senses. So smell, sight, sound, feeling, and taste. And we're going to look at how uh, a black dragon's uh, presence would alter and change a region and what it would look like for a party to actually kind of go through it. Using your senses, uh, because that's how we perceive the world, uh, describing it using the, your senses can be a great way to really uh, bring your players and suck them into what it actually would be like. Um, so if you're ever describing a tavern, you're like, oh, you hear these sounds or you smell this food, it can be a great way to get your party much more enticed into what you're describing. Um, this is actually kind of the opposite. You want them to think, wow, that is so gross, but I'm so, I'm so invested because it feels so real. So let's break down, let's break down our five senses. Let's do it. First one, smell. Um, if you are going through a region of a black dragon, uh, it is smelly. Uh, there is a smell of rot and decay and death that is very putrid, very, very piercing, uh, that is surrounding the area of the black dragon. Um, a lot of the reason for that is that whenever a dragon uh, catches its prey, it will oftentimes put the bodies in, uh, they'll put the, the corpses in bodies of water. And so it'll like bubble and like fester. And so there's all these creepy crawlies all over them. And then it's also in a hot, swampy human marsh. Um, and so it's definitely going to smell like just things are falling apart and rotting. It's super nasty, super gross. Um, sight, what does it look like? Um, it's a swamp, <laughs> but it's not your ordinary swamp. It is turned up to the max, this thick and sludge water and mud, these contorted and, uh, really messed up, jacked up trees that have, um, odd looking foliage and, uh, plants, um, that they also could be host to, uh, festering and rotting bodies on top of the trees themselves. If maybe he wants to get a little snack on the way back to his lair, um, so again, swamp, super nasty, super gross, really play up how, how terrible it would be to how uncomfortable it is. Uh, next up is the sound. You're going to get the bubbling of water and mud, a lot of flies and bugs that are going to be, um, host hosting themselves to a fine dining meal on, on some bodies and stuff. You also will get the, um, the rattling and the slithering of snakes, uh, that are in the area, poisonous creatures, uh, acidic creatures, stuff like that. They're going to kind of find themselves home here. And so again, playing up the, playing up the decay part is going to make this feel not only like a really diverse region compared to the rest of the world where normally people are walking around smelling death and stuff. And if it is, then Hey, you're, you're kind of keeping, you're kind of keeping to your mood and your theme, but uh, it's got also going to really say, Hey, this is a dangerous place. And this isn't this isn't how it's supposed to be because the swamp around it's fine, but as you get closer, uh, about within six miles of the of the lair, it's, it gets really, really nasty. Uh, next up is feeling. 
trudging through thick and dangerous mud. It's a hot and muggy and humid day. There is no no comfort here. There's no comfortable place here. You are not comfortable. <laughs> um, the 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 mud is in your shoes. The you are sweating and it is a sweltering humid heat. Um, the sun, if it isn't out, it is it is uh, hard to see between all the foliage and stuff that's around. Um, one of the regional effects of a black dragon uh, is that they will, within six miles of the lair, it takes twice as long as normal to traverse because plants are growing thick and twisted and the swamps are thick with reeking mud. This is uh, taken from the Monster Manual. If you want uh, any information, most of the stuff I'm talking about here is in the Monster Manual. So you're more than welcome to look this up. Take or don't take from it. Uh, it's more there to inspire you. So again, uh, thick, dangerous mud. It's hard to traverse through. Last thing is taste. The, uh, <laughs> the, the stench of rot has made it down to your throat, man, and your tongue is revolted at the hint of death that seems to follow it everywhere it goes. I know that's kind of a really tragic thing to write, but remember, the black dragon is the most vile, the most vile. All the dragons, all the evil dragons, the chromatic dragons are vile creatures. It is the most vile of all of them. So, um, again, you are more than welcome to play this up as this is a treacherous place to be. Now, let's talk about running combat with a black dragon. How would you do it? What would it look like? Um, we're going to talk about the lair. The, uh, the lair that this is going to be taking place in it normally is within ancient ruins, uh, within, these, um, within caverns or caves that are partially flooded. Um, almost certainly, there will be water in the immediate area of the black dragon. Why? Because it's amphibious. Um, black dragons can breathe underwater. Um, so it has, if it has the ability, it'd love to be in a area where it can rest, uh, maybe underwater where it's kind of safe from more, uh, from predators. I say predators, like something's hunting a black dragon, uh, from party members and wanderers and adventurers. Um, most of them can't breathe underwater like a dragon can. So, or like this dragon can, so it'll kind of take its chances. Um, so again, that's fine. A lot of flooded areas they can kind of go to in and out for cover and stuff, uh, also, mud on the ground is fine because it can fly. So the mud is going to be a little bit of the challenge for the party members. Hey, that's difficult terrain. You have to spend more movement speed through it. Um, or it can be a place for uh, creatures to ambush them. Outside of the water uh, water holes and the uh, mud, there could be lizard folk that are lying in wait for someone to get close to attack. Or that they're peeking in and out of the water and shooting with javelins or crossbows at the party and then sinking back under. Um, that can be a good way to kind of handle that action economy and just kind of do a little bits of chip damage on them. Um, the rest of the lair, again, it is up to your discretion, but make sure that there's cover. Make sure that there is, uh, it's not just a plain battlefield because uh, that can get pretty boring pretty quick. Now, this is a contested um, thing, legendary actions. And how are we going to handle them? Because the way that the way that they like to that D and D likes to counter uh, action economy, or the let's say four party members to one dragon, is to say, oh, let's give the dragon more actions it can do throughout the turn. And so that's what legendary actions are: is that it can take one after uh, a creature's turn and then do something like another attack or reposition, uh, and that's fine. I uh, I prefer, and you don't have to use this. 
uh, when we're running our combat encounter, uh, hypothetical combat encounter, we will not be using this. But I prefer to use, um, not use it. I won't use it at all. Instead, I'll roll initiative for the dragon twice or a boss monster twice. That way that it actually has two turns. It has two chances to redevelop its charge weapon. It has two chances to make attacks. Um, so instead of giving it more spread out actions, it's getting two powerful turns every round. And that's a good way for it to keep up with the party. Same stat block, same everything. It just gets two turns. But uh, when we're doing our uh, combat guide right here, we're not going to be taking that into account. But you could use that if you'd like. I like to have it go an initiative of like 10 and 1. So a couple party members go before it, a couple party members go after it, and then it ends off the turn and we kick back up. At the top of initiative, uh, lair actions. Um, at initiative 20, the lair, if it is the lair of a powerful dragon, will actually be able to kind of help in combat. A couple examples they give, uh, one is that the pools of water will actually kind of grab onto creatures um, and try and pull them in. They need to make a saving throw of DC 15 strength, or they get knocked prone and are pulled into the water. Um, and that can be really cool and like, oh, that's so dangerous, and kind of pulling people out of uh, their favorite position. A rogue that's behind cover can be pulled into water, or a wizard that's lining up a spell can lose its line of sight on the dragon. And so... Uh, you can use that to your advantage um, to kind of keep combat moving and interesting and not letting anyone get the upper hand. Remember, smart, intelligent dragon. The next one is uh, that the dragon chooses a spot and a swarm of insects fill that area and creatures caught in it uh, make a con save or they take um, piercing damage. Uh, and that could be good for little bits of chip damage. That's my least favorite just because it's, it's just damage. It's all right. Um, the dragon does plenty of damage. We, we, we're about to find out how much damage a dragon can do. But it's there. Uh, if someone has concentration on a spell, that could be really good for kind of checking that. Because even if they pass it, they're still um, going to take that damage. Um, so it's still a good way to kind of keep uh, characters in check. Whether it's the cl a cleric who has uh, spear guardians up or a wizard with haste on the barbarian. That can be really detrimental. <laughs> Um, for the party. Last one is that there is magical darkness uh, that he points at and it spreads. That's a great way to ambush people or break line of sight um, or catch um, a rogue in that they can't shoot and they have to reposition out of their hiding hole. Um, so again, great utility uh, lair actions that this guy has. Let's go ahead and let's talk about his actual stat block. What is he going to do? The first thing he's going to do is he's going to use his acid breath that is no question. It's a cone, so it's going to be able to catch multiple people. Uh, your goal with Acid Breath should be to use it as often as you get it. It is a high power, high damage ability. DC 18 dexterity save in a uh, cone. 60. Oh, sorry. Line. 60 foot line. So it's a line. DC 18 dexterity save. Takes 54 damage if you get caught in it. Um, what he's going to do... Uh, again, they're preying on the weak, so you're going to apply that in their combat strategy. They're going to try and take out the weakest person first and work their way up, uh, kind of breaking the chain of command um, or the, the support uh, underneath the more powerful people. So uh, let's say that the party, I've, I've been using rogue and barbarian, for example. So there's a rogue, a barbarian, a wizard, and a cleric. Uh, four of them walk into a lair, and they roll initiative with this dragon, one, the rogue goes first and does some damage. Oh, whatever. Um, 
it's going to use its breath weapon. It's going to try and catch as many people in its breath weapon. If it can only catch one person in its breath weapon, it's going to go after le- the the person who is going to probably fail it. So right now he's looking at all the people. Rogue, he's not too worried about right now. Uh, but that wizard, oh, that wizard, he's going to try and get him. Make his deck save. Let's say he passes. He takes half as much damage. He takes 27 damage. That's still not good. That's going to hurt. Um, and then after that, he's going to close in. And he's going to try and separate them uh, from each other and kind of pick them off sequentially. On his actual turns, uh, beyond that, rolling to see if his acid breath recharges. And he's using Frightful Presence. And he's making his multi-attacks. Multi-attack is not going to be... You do not split up multi-attack. Do not hit... Um, oh, I'm going to do my bite on this guy, and then one claw on this dude, and then another claw on this guy. Don't do that. You're going to attack all three on one target. Uh, on average, that's going to be doing, uh, what? That's going to be doing 43 damage a turn if all three of them hit. You have a plus 11 to hit with an adult black dragon. So you are going to be pumping out a lot of damage. So uh, using them all on one person is a great way to make this feel like a like a dangerous that oh why is he targeting well because he knows what he's doing remember th- these dragons are hundreds of years old and some humans that are walking in there with some cool spells and stuff they they got to run for the money they got to think really smart to make it out of here alive um again you're in its domain so it's going to be doing as much as it wants to try and take you guys out um if you ever knock a, pl- a character unconscious if you are a, a if you're one of the dms who's Hey, you're not your character's down. He's done for. <laughs> you can finish him off. A black dragon would finish it off. It it take a big bite and it rip its head off. That that guy's that dude is done. <laughs> um, you do not have to do that. Dragons uh, can still find use for people. Um, so a black dragon, uh, if it knocks a character unconscious, says I can use you later for either my own um, my own stuff or you might be able to help me get treasure again. Treasure and ego are the kind of drives for a dragon. So right before he died, he's like, no, wait, I'll get you riches. He might just knock him unconscious and leave him there. Um, And then he's going to sequentially work his way up. Um, If he does not knock them unconscious, he's going to go for the healer next. Uh, If you you have a healer in the party, he's going for them next. uh, Because he knows that that healer is going to be able to get that guy back up. And so what is he going to do? He's going to limit... The healer's ability, he's going to get in the way, he's going to deal damage to the healer, so the healer is too focused on keeping themselves alive to be able to do much. Um, so that is how, if, if you're running a dragon and you really want that dragon to be a tough combat encounter, which it should be, uh, because again, adult black dragon, uh, its challenge rating is um, 14. Challenge rating is kind of bogus. Um, I don't really buy into it. But um, if you really want to use challenge rating, uh, I would beef up a couple of its stats before rolling in with four level 14 characters. Um, this feels more like a level eight encounter, level seven encounter um, with four party members because they're going to be able to dish out a lot of damage. Uh, at that point, barbarians are getting feral instinct. Um, spellcasters have fourth level spells, so you're getting blight, you're getting uh, more fireballs, you're getting all that stuff. So adult black dragons got to run for its money if they're level 14s, but level seven, level eight, level nine, that's a good range to kind of throw this guy in there. Give it a couple bonus HP points. Remember, uh, last thing we'll touch on him before we move on to the next creature, uh, black dragons, if they are almost going to die, they're going to leave. They're going to escape. Make sure you keep that in mind when you're, uh, playing them. All right. And let's move on to, uh, blue dragons. So blue dragons, 
are awesome. They are really, really cool. They have a huge horn that rolls up from the uh, from their snout, and they have these really eccentric frilled ears that are kind of going outwards. They are crackling with electricity and static um, as they grow with age, and that kind of uh, kind of plays the, itself up as they get angry. So if they're angry, there's lightning rolling all around it, uh, which is really, really cool. They live in deserts. They live in dry and hot climates, badlands, rocky coasts, all of the above. They are very territorial, especially uh, against brass dragons, which is a type of metallic dragon. Uh, metallic dragons are considered good aligned creatures. Um, so uh, chromatic dragons and metallic dragons do not get along. Uh, blue dragons are vain, and they do not take insults lightly. Anyone who even insinuates that a blue dragon cannot do what it is thinking it's going to do or uh, they kind of downplay how strong it is, it does not take that well. They also uh, will lord over, they love to lord over humanoids and lesser creatures, uh, in, in their eyes, lesser creatures. They believe that they, again, have an innate right to rule and they love to kind of show that over everybody. So uh, they they will, they def- you might see a blue dragon appear more, out in public's eye than a black dragon or another chromatic dragon. They don't. They they they're, they like to kind of show. Yeah, I'm the boss. I'm the guy who's in charge. Um, they are really really intelligent fighters, and so they like to take their time when they're fighting. They are patient, and that is that is that's a good trait, but not in this case. They're willing to take hours or even days to finish a fight if they believe it's worth it. Hit and run tactics, uh, ambushing, swooping down from the sky with her lightning breath only to fly back up and hide again or be just out of out of range. Um, they might fly hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air just flying over you. And so now you're anxious. Can I even rest? You sit down for a second and it swoops back in and gets you back up on your feet until you're too exhausted to even fight and then it goes in and finishes the job. So they are very intelligent. Um, not only that, but they also, they don't they don't only hunt from the sky, but they also hunt on the ground. They will bury themselves in the ground uh, with their snout and horn uh, pluck, uh, like exuded from the ground, and they like to uh, ambush um, prey that they could eat. They are carnivores, and they will eat herd animals uh, and the like. And so if there's herd animals in the area, it'll bury itself and then snatch its prey up as it gets close. Uh, for them, caravans and nomadic tribes is kind of like uh, wandering buffets. <laughs> so they're like, they're, they kind of treat that as their own. They'll go in and get what they want. Like all other dragons, a blue dragon loves valuables. And not only loves valuable items, uh, but also valuable people. Um, so they love uh, servants, uh, bards, artists, wizards, assassins, very valuable um, humanoids that they can use to kind of spread their uh, domain um, over their territory. They are willing to reward them greatly. And so um, be uh, be mindful that there might be uh, dragon servants um, that might be in a nearby town. And so the party may not even see the dragon first, but they might see these dragon cult um, or these followers of the dragon, of the blue dragon, that will come and maybe they collect a tithe for the dragon, saying, hey, in turn for the dragon's protection, a.k.a. not destroying you, 
give us some money for the dragon. And they're like, oh, no. And there's and that could be a fun little quest line, try and take out some of the people of the dragon lord uh, before facing the dragon itself. That can be a great couple sessions. Um, but they will have followers, um, and they're willing to pay them handsomely. Not only do they uh, take treasure, but they also love gems. Um, blue dragons love gems. Uh, specifically blue gems. So sapphires, they love sapphires. Um, they, I mean, of course, blue is good. Blue is the best color because um, what better color than blue than a blue dragon, right? So they love uh, gems. If they have less valuable um, items, less valuable uh, treasures, they will actually leave them above sinkholes and use them as lures and traps for adventurers who are a little too greedy to go over and they snatch them and they fall down a pit and they take a lot of damage. So five gold laying around, throw it over the top of a, of a sinkhole and watch the paladin run over, grab it and sink to the bottom because he's wearing heavy plate mail and he's big. Now, uh, let's talk about a dragon's cavern. A dragon's region is surrounded by a huge thunderstorm, a large thunderstorm that kind of surrounds the region that a drag, the dragon kind of lords over. A dragon's lair oftentimes is a cavern under the sand um, or some place that is unknown. It does not let its servants often enter it. Um, however, the creatures of the desert that it finds itself in, it'll happily let them kind of meander around um, just for the tight security that they might provide. So giant scorpions, um, undead bone serpents, stuff like that. Mummies. I don't know if you have mummies, but that could be cool too. have them in the area. Uh, and that can be cool wandering monsters through this lair before you reach the dragon. Um, if it is underground in a cavern, it's going to have uh, because it can burrow it is going to have these crystallized uh, paths that it takes because it can use its lightning breath and its burrowing skills to kind of carve a way through and its lightning will instantly crystallize the sand that it finds itself in. So that could be a really cool location, these crystalline structures that are uh, like inside the the sand that the city's directly on top of or however you want to do that. Uh, you can take any of this if you want. Um, if a dragon's lair is invaded it will often collapse the cavern on the group that invaded it and burrow itself out, leaving them to die and later to return to collect its treasures and the goods that that party had left. So again, very intelligent. If they can avoid a fight, they'll avoid a fight. But if the dragon might, if the dragon needs to defend its treasure, it will absolutely defend it. So the party's found its lair. Uh, they, he tries to collapse it on them. It's not going to work. And you got to roll initiative. Um, so let's talk about what that's going to look like. So, Again, uh, lair actions do exist for the dragon as well. Uh, to describe them briefly, uh, part of the ceiling collapses, dexterity save, and they get buried and trapped underneath it. They take some damage. Um, that can be great for, again, singling out targets or kind of putting targets to the side. It is a dexterity save, so the rogue's going to be just fine. Um, Barbarian will probably uh, be fine. Wizard may not be. Cleric probably won't be. So he's going to target someone with a low dex who looks like they're in big fat armor. Um, he's going to try and trap them. Again, think smart. A cloud of sand uh, might blind characters for a minute and they can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of their turns. Blinding characters is great because you can't attack something you cannot see. And so if a spellcaster is blind, they can't hit the dragon. Uh, they're kind of waddling around with a stick. 
waving it around saying, Avada Kedavra. But they can't hit anything, so they're fine. Uh, and then lastly is that there are lightning arcs that are kind of uh, tracing around the area because of the dragon's innate magic. Uh, dexterity save, or they take um, lightning damage. Uh, just a little bit. Just, uh, on average, it's 10, so not too bad. And then let's let's jump into this. You roll initiative, and it's pretty simple. The first thing you're going to do uh, with any dragon is you're going to use their breath weapon. Uh, their breath weapon is so, so strong. A DC 19 dexterity saving throw for an adult blue dragon. Um, on a failure, you take 66 damage, rolling 12d10 damage, or half as much on a success. Um, their combat style is, man... It is something. So they are, they are again, patient fighters. So they're willing to take their time and kind of whittle down targets. Uh, but, I mean, if they can drop somebody in the first hit, I mean, why not? That's It's all right. They'd rather that you waste your resources and the party runs dry and they run out of gas and then he swoops in for the kill. So that could mean he's flying up in the air just out of reach of people's um, a range and then using its breath weapon and just kind of picking off people. I mean, you can't, you can't avoid the breath weapon forever. Um, but, uh, if that is not an option, it will, uh, instead it is going to try and, you know, close the distance, make a couple attacks on a following turn. It'll use a legendary action to do the wing attack, knocking the creature prone DC 20 deck save, knock the creature prone, and then it can fly up to half its flight speed, which is 80 feet. Cut in half is 40 feet, and that could definitely get it and allow it to reposition or at least get up in the air. Um, it'll take the opportunity attack from a prone target any day of the week because um, prone targets are going to attack with disadvantage, and that can mean that that dragon is like, oh, I know that people can't really hit me while they're down, so I'm going to knock them down, and I'm going to fly out. Uh, again, plus three in intelligence, plus two in wisdom, plus four in charisma. These guys are smart. They're tacticians. They, they If they live this long, that dragon's going to know what it's doing. Um, on its turn, it's using Frightful Presence. It's making its multi-attack. It's rolling to see if it has its breath weapon back. Um, it's It bums me out that all the dragons, their their stat blocks are pretty similar. They have their legendary resistance, their multi-attacks, their Frightful Presence, and their breath weapon. And that's about it. Um, so I encourage you to think of cool rules that you can do for your dragons or how you can, um, how you can diversify up the combat with them. I'm going to give you one more tip on how to run a combat with a blue dragon, how to do their lair and the actual combat map. And then we're going to sign off for the first episode of the wizards apprentice podcast. If you are running combat with a blue dragon in its lair, uh, just know that there might be dangerously sharp crystals, uh, who, or a caved in a uh, section of the cavern that's there for cover. So the crystals, maybe you take a little bit of damage as you run across them or they're just difficult terrain. Or you can say, can I choose to not take, the difficult terrain and just take a little bit of damage to run across. Sure. Go for it. Um, caved in sections for cover. Um, you don't want to let, uh, you don't want to let the party just get annihilated. Give them, give them some room to work. Um, you could also have roaming creatures, uh, such as massive scorpions or, or, uh, bone serpents, or you can really have whatever you want in there. Um, that's just kind of in the area or maybe a super trusted elite of the dragons, um, followers and servants so you can have maybe a wizard or an assassin that's in the room with them as well 
uh, a fun homebrew ability I would give the dragon is a as a fun way to recharge its breath weapon is that there is an electrical mist uh, that might float around in the um, in the cavern. You can make that a lair action for it to appear or to move, or you can just have it stationary. And the dragon can if it starts um, if it starts and ends its turn in the electrical mist, it can automatically recharge its breath weapon at the beginning of its next turn. So not only does that give the party a way to kind of counteract and kind of deal damage to this sucker, uh, but it also makes it still a benefit for the dragon to do this. So it can kind of weigh it. Am I willing to take a little bit of damage to deal out some more damage? If you feel the fight going long, that's a great way to do it. Hey, it's going to fly down. It's going to land right in front of you, deal some attacks, and it's going to march over, and then it stays there on its next turn. And then at the beginning of its third turn after that, it now has its breath weapon fully recharged and it's going to let it loose. And so that could be a great way to let the party get some damage in, let them think now's our opportunity, and then it can describe it in its monologue. You fools, I am simply growing stronger. And then describe the electricity rolling up its back and through its spine and up its snout. Um, it furls its wings and lightning crackles through it. Stuff like that. Cool stuff. Um, so yeah, um, make it a... That one's going to be a bit of a longer combat because just the way that the dragon is going to fight. But with that all being said, that is all that we have for today's uh, episode of the Wizards Apprentice podcast. I hope that you enjoyed. Um, Thank you for listening. And I want to encourage you with this. Uh, DMs, you are doing a good job. Um, I'm going to say this pretty much every time, but... If you left a session and the party said, hey, man, that was a great session. See you next week. It doesn't matter if you made a mistake. It doesn't matter if you rolled wrong uh, or or you forgot about the saving throw or you rolled not enough damage. And you realize that you made that mistake and you could have it could have been a really cool moment and you missed it. Um, you are doing a good job. Uh, being a DM is not easy. It's fun. It is so fun and it's so worth it um, to create a story that you and your friends can sit around and have a good time with. But you are doing a good job, even if you feel like you, even if you feel like you bombed it, because some people don't even have the courage to do it. So the fact that you're doing it uh, should speak for itself that you are doing a fantastic job. But I hope that you guys will tune in um, shortly. We'll be releasing episodes bi-weekly. So twice a week, we'll have new episodes for players and DMs alike to help you improve your D, uh, D&D game. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>